Hello, Follower family, and welcome back to the Follower Podcast. We're in this series called The Rough Cuts, where I'm sharing thoughts as they come, uh, particularly around the Lord's Prayer, and not doing really any editing. I was reflecting on the series. I think uh, this is the last one in this particular series as we've come to the end of, of reflecting on the Lord's Prayer together. Uh, it's been cool. Uh, I think some episodes have maybe been better than others. I think particularly last week, I felt like I was just rambling a bit. But uh, there we go. That's it. That's uh, that's the kind of rawness and honesty of the space. I think it's been a cool experiment for me. Like, what does it mean to not uh, to just trust and put it out and not try and curate um, stuff? That's not to say we won't do more edited things in the future. Of course we will. But this has been a cool um I think, personal experiments and just sharing things that are on my heart as they come up. Uh, today, we're looking, like I said, at the last episode of this Rough Cut series, and we're looking particularly at the uh, Deliver Us from Evil Peace. Now, uh, I thought, I was thinking, how could I talk about what I'm thinking around evil? And uh, what came to mind was actually a memory from my childhood uh, as a story to give us a sense of, wh- of what I, I think are important elements to think through when we're praying, Father in heaven, deliver us from evil. And uh, I don't know about you, but like my childhood is just this rushing blur of, of, of experiences and memories, and many of them kind of go past, but then there's one or two that sort of stand out in the midst of that story. And this moment that I'm going to share is one such memory. And it, it actually it happens on a, a family holiday. I was a small boy, I want to see maybe seven or eight years old, and we had gone away uh, for a few days to this place in South Africa called Eagle's Nest. Uh, it was this like beautiful hilltop resort with lush, dense forests and, and like these crystal streams and deep gorges and rock pools. And uh, um, in this memory, uh, that, that's where we are as a family, uh, we're there at these rock pools. Uh, and um, this cold, clear water is moving quickly over the rocks. The valley that we're in is filling sort of with the echoing sounds of, of this flowing water. Um, and at first, the water is flowing gently up at the top of the slope, uh, and then it's moving into pool after pool. And then as it makes its way down the steep slope, it sort of gathers pace and intensity until it jumps off a cliff uh, in a waterfall. And... Uh, that waterfall, you know, we were kind of higher up on the slope uh, in these rock pools. And from a distance, that waterfall almost looked pretty uh, or, or like uh, maybe calm, you know, calm enough to make you feel safe as we were jumping and splashing in the rock pools above uh, at the top of the slope. And we're laughing and it's echoing through the valley and mixing with the sound of this running water. And I can remember my mom sort of lying to the side on the grass, chilling out and my dad watching us, and my brothers and I playing pirates or divers or whatever game is is being churned up in us by those waters, you know. Um, and everything is, is really well. Everything is calm, uh, right up until it's not. <laughs> and so, you know, like most young boys who are hardwired for adventure and mischief, uh, my brothers and I begin to sort of test the limits of these rock pools. So we started off at the top of the slope, playing in the calmer rock pools, um, and I guess when I think back, it's almost as if it started to feel a little bit tame. We got a little bit bored. And the faster streams uh, down below, they started to seem more interesting to us. 
Uh, and I can actually still remember my father's voice uh, as my older brother. He's, he sort of started uh, steadying himself at the top of a bigger stream, which was running quickly over some slippery rocks uh, and down into the valley below. And I remember my dad saying, boys, be careful on those rocks. They're wet. And um, it was if, as if the words of my dad were like sort of this gunshot in a starting line. And as soon as he said them, in that moment, my brother lost his footing and, uh, and he slipped. And I can still see that in my memory out of the corner of my eye, him disappearing in this flash uh, and a scream like, oh, down the slope and out of sight, just going, going, going as this water is rushing over the rocks. And, and what happens next in this memory for me is still hard to comprehend it. So, so I look up in panic, right, from the... the the rock pools where we're playing. My brother's just gone flashing uh, out in the corner of my eye. I'm looking up to where my dad was, which is sort of the typical thing you do as a young boy, right? When things, when things get beyond your control, you're looking up, where's dad? And um, he wasn't there. Uh, he was running now. <laughs> like this crazy man, like an episode of The Flash. I want you to imagine that. Down the slope, over the rocks, in the direction of where my brother had disappeared, off into the valley. And that slope must have been near vertical. Uh, I, I still actually don't have any idea how my dad managed to, to stay on his feet sprinting down a near vertical hill, but he did. And, and almost as quickly as my brother had slipped away off into the valley, my dad had covered the distance between them and disappeared <laughs> running down the slope uh, over the horizon. And I stared in shock in the direction of where they had both gone uh, into the edge of this valley. And then, as I, it was kind of like this quick, quick, you've got to think of all of this is happening in a number of seconds, right? 30, 30 seconds to a minute. It's all kind of just going like this. And then I see my dad's head breaking the horizon again. And he is now climbing his way back up the slope. And he's carrying my trembling brother with him who has, you know, swum and slipped and gone down the hill and must have gone into a, a, a big pool down below. And if he had carried on going, he would have gone over the waterfall and who knows where that would have happened. And that could have been a very, a much more serious story. Um, but, you, you know, so, so many terrible things could have happened in that story, but they didn't precisely because my dad was there, right, to save him. In, in this moment when my brother couldn't save himself, um, when those faster, bigger streams pulled him beyond his own limitations um, and literally sent him flying over the edge. It was my father who was there to save him. Now, I'm sure you can see uh, where I'm kind of going with the story. If you can't, let's, let's be a bl- little bit clearer here. I am a little bit older than that boy who was all those years ago in, in that rock pool. And... Uh, as, as much as I've grown older, I'm still prone to push the limits and still prideful in my insistence on having my own way. And I still end up slipping on the wet rocks of life and flying downstream towards the edge of cliffs on a pretty regular basis, you know. And maybe you can relate to that. Maybe I'm the only one, and if so, that's fine, but I doubt it. I think in the human experience, we all have this... Um, we all have this prideful insistence that we can handle things. And there is this call, this temptation, uh, that the place that we, that we have been set by God isn't enough. 
and that the, those faster streams, the bigger streams, the waterfalls down below, that's, that's where we really need to get to. Um, in fact, the more I think about this in my own life, the more I realize that the, really the only reason I'm still here uh, and the only reason that what could have happened so many times in my life didn't happen is because my father was there to save me. And, and here I don't mean my earthly father, I mean my heavenly father, right? Uh, the one who sees me slipping on rocks of my own choosing long before I even know it myself and then sprints downhill at the pace of a heartbeat to catch me in the freefall uh, uh, of my choices and deliver me from the evil of those consequences, right? And maybe that's why Jesus tells us to pray like he does. Our Father in heaven, deliver us from evil. Maybe he wants us to remember, I think, two important things, at least, probably more, but at least two important things. Uh, number one, when the temptations of those wildest streams entice us away from the good and pleasant places that God has placed us in uh, by his love. Just think about that. You know, there's that beautiful psalm that says, the boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. I think there's something of wisdom that happens to us when we come to a place of peace in the rock pools, so to speak, that the Lord has placed us in. And we're not covetously sort of looking around at all the wildest streams below and pining for those things, but we're making our peace with the boundary lines that the Lord has set for us. That when those temptations do pull us, maybe I think Jesus would warn us in this prayer, number two, two things, that, that evil is a reality. So there's this warning about the reality of evil. And then there's this assurance about the promise of deliverance. And I thought I'd just share two, a couple of thoughts on each of those. So let's start with evil. Um, when we think about evil, it's good to start by acknowledging evil's existence. Now that sounds so obvious as being unnecessary to say, but I think in the world we live in today, it's actually very necessary to say because we live in an age that's so given over to uh, the supremacy of pleasure and preference that any attempt to appeal to sort of moral norms or, or calling correction to, to inappropriate actions is quickly stigmatized uh, as being closed-minded or oppressive or bigoted or whatever. Uh, and you look at cancel culture as an example of this, right? Um, but even, even in, and this is what's so interesting, even in this world of cancel culture and like crazy relativism and pushing the boundaries all over the place, even in that sort of uh, relativistic soup of confused ankylous chaos, right, that is so much of the contemporary world that we live in today, there still remains somewhere deep in our collective consciousness this outcry at things that violate uh, some kind of invisible but undeniable threshold that's hardwired into us as to what it means to, to be human at the level of our DNA, <laughs> right? So, so some things, what I'm saying here, regardless of how tolerant we aspire to be, some things cross a line. And, and we don't always know where that line is and we don't always actually know where that line came from, although we do know. But, you know, society's story would, doesn't give us a reason for that line, although it's undeniably there. But some things are just evil, right? And having, we have to accept that. And once we've accepted, accepted the reality of evil, um, you know, I could go through the news feed. I could, we could point to any number of things. And there would be like a, 
almost a, a, a wide consensus in the human experience, man, that's crossed the line. That's evil, right? And when we accept the reality of evil, the next important thing we have to ask is, uh, why are we so surprised when we see evil in our world? So, so what I mean by this is, uh, think about uh, things that are happening in the world today. We watch uh, TikTok videos, right, of real-time wars. We read stats in South Africa about gender-based violence and rape. Um, uh, we, we read about this movie called The Sound of Freedom that's come out and sparked all kind of important awareness around human trafficking and the atrocities of that. Um, and we shake our heads at this stuff all while we're eating our morning breakfast, <laughs> Right, and and we sort of say, even if only under our own breath, like, how how is this possible, right? How how could this happen? Now, when you stop to really think about it, the better question actually is, um, how how could this not happen? Uh, what I mean by this is, we've built the exact kind of society that makes evil not only possible but inevitable, and we don't realize this. Because um, we're, des- we're desensitized to evil in its subtler, subtler forms. Uh, it leaks into our minds from screens and songs and advertising. And, and so what's awful becomes normal and then snowballs in this cumulative effect over time that then imperceptibly wraps uh, our inner worlds, uh, it, or, or not wraps, uh, warps our inner worlds, right, um, into a kind of brokenness of interior realities that then spills out into our families and into our cities and then eventually into our nations. Um, and so I experienced this, for example, on a 12-hour flight. I was flying back from Japan to Abu Dhabi, and I was wanting to pass some time because 12 hours on a plane is a long time. So I'm um, looking at the movies. And there's nothing really I want to watch, but there's this one movie, Joker, and I haven't seen it. And so I think, oh, this, this looks interesting. And if you don't know, it's a realistic style origin story of the DC nemesis to Batman, the Joker. And um, in, this, in this movie, spoiler alert, in the final uh, culminating scene, this, the Joker pulls out a gun and shoots a television host in the head. <laughs> and blood splatters all across the wall. And I have this moment of realization because I'm watching this all while I'm eating chocolate-covered pretzels in my airline seat. Right, and and that seems normal enough. Almost, we go like, oh, like of course. I mean, that's pretty normal. You're eating your popcorn and watching watching your movie, and the guy sitting next to me, he didn't even take a second look. Right, super normal, but but that in my mind is exactly the problem. See, when we live in a society where graphic violence and the evil of murder has been normalized to the level of entertainment, um, sort of the kind of thing that you can watch over a box of chocolate-covered pretzels, <laughs> as an example, um, then we shouldn't be surprised when nations erupt into war. We should be surprised, however, when they don't. We should be surprised that a society so accommodating to violence, lust, greed, vengeance, and abuse hasn't completely spiraled into chaos. That should be surprising to us and make us think that maybe grace is more real than we imagine. And so evil is not only real, but it's also pervasive. It's everywhere. And it's not so much because it's everywhere around us, although that's true, 
But it's because it's, and prob- probably more problematically, because it's embedded within us. Right? So as C.S. Lewis reminds us, the line between good and evil does not run between people, but between every human heart. Or, uh, and, and this is where, you know, you, know, you watch um, beauty queens, right? And they say, like, well, what, do you, what do you want to do for the world? And you always get this idea of, man, we just want world peace. Um, but, but this idea of world peace is dead in the water unless we recognize the simple truth uh, Oswald Smith, he's a writer, he said this, he said, uh, the heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. The heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. Or as Switchfoot, the great prophet, said, uh, John Foreman, you know, uh, he said, we, we've been blowing up, we're the issue, <laughs> the ammunition. We are the fuse and the ammunition, right? So but from a biblical perspective, evil is not only real and pervasive, but it's also has a source, the Satan, who is this supernatural being opposed to the goodness that is God. And this Satan has infected every human heart with a sin sickness that makes us, and this is important, accomplices in building the very chaos that ultimately destroys us. So sin is real. Uh, Evil is real. We have this baseline knee-jerk reaction within us when things cross the line. Evil is pervasive. It's, it's not only everywhere around us, but it's markedly within us. Um, the line runs between every human heart. And evil has a source, uh, the Satan. And so that, that finds us in a difficult space in the world because we are like those children who've slipped on wet rocks and gone flying towards a cliff. Right? And we don't always feel this. If I had to ask you right now, you might not feel like you're in a moment of chaos where you're flying toward a cliff or a waterfall. But that's predominantly because we've been anesthetized by entertainment and distracted by the busyness of self. You know, there's that saying like we cannot handle, human beings cannot handle very much reality. But eventually, all our defensive mechanisms designed to guard us from the true state of our own brokenness and the world around us, these things fail. And we catch a glimpse of the evils that we have chosen to call home. And this is a crashing a crushing revelation. Um, it almost feels it feels overwhelming when we recognize the weight of our chosen darkness. And in that moment, whenever that happens to you, and however often that may or may not happen to you, I think you know each of us. There are moments in our life when we really come to terms with the depths of our own brokenness and the brokenness of the world that we live in. And in that moment, it becomes crystal clear that we actually do need saving. Or in the words of this prayer, we need deliverance. And not only from the evils that lurk around us, that's important, uh, but also from the ones planted within us by the enemy of our souls. And so that's evil. It's, it's real. It's pervasive. It has a source. And, and all of that means that we really do need saving. And in this idea, that's where the assurance comes from, right? So there's the warning. Hey, man, the evil is here. But here's the assurance, um, the deliverance that we need, the saving that we ultimately need, that we're desperate for, um, that Father who we need to cover the ground between us and Him as we go flying down the slope, um, that's precisely the Father that we find in Jesus. Um, As Dallas Willard so poignantly reminds us in the renovation of the heart, Jesus came to orchestrate a revolution and nothing less. Uh, But 
But his revolution is not an earthly revolution because Jesus knows what we often fail to acknowledge is that the revolution we need is not ultimately of one, one of systems and structures, as important as those are. Systems and structures are simply, they're not enough. Because even the best systems and structures in broken hands yield a broken result. Yeah. So the revelation that we need is a revelation of the human heart, a renovation or a regeneration of it. So we see war, we see murders, we see hatred and abuse, and our stomachs turn and our tempers flare and our fears ignite, and we pray, Father, deliver us from evil. And that's right, we should pray that. I believe that God is moved by those prayers. But we, we, if we don't let those prayers settle deeper, if we don't let them come closer to home, then we miss the deep transforming invitation that's hidden in these words, Father, deliver us from evil. See, when we pray deliver us from evil, we're, we're not only praying for the evil we see out there, we're also praying for the evil that lingers in us. We are, we're in effect praying something like, Father, deliver us from the corrupted hearts that make us complicit um, in the evil we see all around us. Heal us of the poison desires that delight us, uh, that make us delight in, in those things that, that you find vile. Cut out the warped appetites uh, that, that make us find things appealing that you find horrendous, right? Make us holy as you are holy. Father, deliver us from evil. And so this is a really, really big prayer to pray, Father, deliver us from the sin sickness of our own hearts and make us kingdom outposts in a fallen world and ambassadors of God's reality amidst the great evils of our time. It's, it's only a natural question that people would ask, man, is that even possible? Particularly when we get a sense of our own brokenness. And this is why I love the final lines of the Lord's Prayer. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory now and forever. Amen. See, it's not anyone who's offering us this deliverance. It's Jesus. And Jesus is the one who defeated death itself on the cross. And, and because, he was, because he defeated death, was raised up to the highest authority by the Father. So the kingdom that we're being called into is His kingdom. The power that we need to be delivered is His power. The glory of this great miracle is His glory. So, so Jesus is not writing checks here that He can't cash. He is both willing and able to deliver us from evil. That's what happened on the cross. He has delivered us and He is delivering us and He will deliver us. And it is the liberating power that flowed out of His empty tomb. And what He offers us is an invitation he says, this reality is now available. This deliverance is here. You don't have to go flying off the edge of the cliff. My invitation is for you to pray your way into the lived experience of this waiting freedom. And so um, my sense is that we should. <laughs> that we should pray not once or twice, but really without ceasing. And as we do, um, we want to we watch Jesus move on our behalf and in fact deliver us from evil, transform our inside, internal world so that, so that we become, so that we're not complicit in the brokenness of our own world, so that we actually become contributors to the light and not to the darkness. And yes, of course, deliver us from the evils around us, but Father, deliver us from the evils within us. And maybe that's a new thought to you, and, and maybe you, you know, if you're not a follower of Jesus, this idea of the fact that you carry evil can almost be offensive, but 
man, it's sobering medicine. It's, it's honest truth. Uh, you know, this is not an accusation finger here. This is a, this is a, a loving reminder. When you go to the doctor and uh, the doctor tells you that you have cancer, he's not trying to hurt you, he's trying to help you. Right? The first thing about any leader's role is to define reality. <laughs> and we don't do ourselves any, um, any favors when we deny some of the realities of our own brokenness. And so that's really what we're praying. Father, deliver us from evil is to say, Father, yes, deliver us from the evils around us, but deliver us from the evil one who has infected us with the brokenness of sin and heal us into your kingdom. And there's not another story or another person who has the capacity to do that but Jesus. And so I would really encourage you to run to him and to really seek that deliverance in prayer so that you and I can enter into the fullness of humanity that he saved us for. Uh, That's what I've got for us today on uh, the final episode of The Rough Cuts. Uh, Father, deliver us from evil. I hope that's helpful for you and encouraging and sobering, but also assuring that the deliverance we so desperately need is available in Jesus. Uh, if you feel like there's someone who needs to hear this, please share, leave a review, do all the things that helps with the podcast. And uh, we'll see you next time on the Follower Podcast. The upcoming series is going to be on prayer, where we're going to be sharing the three uh, main talks from our previous prayer focus uh, that's just coming to an end now. So you can look forward to that in the coming weeks. Until then, uh, have a good one, guys. <laughs>